And welcome into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of the program. We hope you'll stay tuned. This is the virtual Bible study for Thursday, July 17th, and we're glad you're a part of it tonight. The number to call to be a part of the program is 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you on the virtual Bible study. In fact, it's good to be on the virtual Bible study period. We're we're dealing with technical difficulties right to the starting moment here, and we may not have them all ironed out yet, but hopefully we're getting out over the Internet and uh, our, our listeners will be able to pick up the Bible study tonight. We're glad for everybody who's listening tonight. All right. Again, we want your participation at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com in the studio to help us with some participation tonight. Um, Bob Tidwell, a member of the uh, congregation here at College View, is here. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the program. It's good to be with you all tonight. It's good to be with you. All right. uh, We have an interesting topic for tonight, Dad. Why don't you introduce it? Jacob, uh, I think most of our listeners are aware how we've been doing this lately, and that is we send out on Thursdays during the day a message to uh, those who are on our regular email update list telling you about the topic for discussion that night and and asking for people to begin sending some feedback concerning some questions that we'll be discussing. Tonight, I think we've got an interesting topic. Earlier today, we sent out to our list these questions. Number one, how should a Christian answer this question? Quote, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And so our question is, how should a Christian answer that question? If I died right now, would I go to heaven? And number two, what are the means through which a Christian can, de- uh, can develop proper confidence? We want to talk about our confidence as Christians. Basically, that's our theme tonight. Uh, as Christians, can we have confidence? Specifically, can we have confidence in our salvation? Can we be sure we're going to heaven? And if someone were to ask you that question, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? How would you answer that? And so that's what we want to talk about. We want to get your feedback. Jacob already gave the feedback uh, uh items there you can call us we'd love to get a phone call from you 1-877-381-4567 or you can simply send us an email we're constantly monitoring our email throughout the program and if you want to send us a message by email the address is questions at collegeview.com we'd love to hear from you and we think this is really an important subject in fact earlier today jacob i got a uh, an email from a, a listener who said this Tonight's topic is very interesting to me. Uh, He said, uh, once during a study of the book of Matthew, I heard a very elderly woman in the church who had been a Christian her entire adult life asked about going to heaven, and her response was, I sure hope so. I remember thinking, where was the confidence? Why do we let passages and he references Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Why do we let a passage like that erode away our hope of salvation? And then he asked us to comment about Matthew seven twenty one. We'll try to do that later in the program. But I thought his email was indicative of some of the things that probably all of us have experienced. Maybe you've had some personal doubt as to whether you're saved. If you would die, and would you go to heaven? Maybe you've heard others who are Christians express some doubt, some uncertainty as to whether or not in the judgment they would receive the heavenly reward. I think people deal with that question pretty often. And so that's our topic for discussion tonight on the virtual Bible study. We'd like to have your input. Again, let us ask those questions. If you haven't, send us an email already please do so if you were to die right now would you go to heaven how should we answer that question all right we're looking forward to hearing from you join in 877-381-4567 questions 
at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Uh, let's start out by uh, maybe talking about some of the things that, that obviously would not serve as a proper basis of confidence. I think maybe some people have, they feel confident, but they probably shouldn't. And uh, so maybe we could start our discussion by dealing with that. For instance, if I'm trusting in human wisdom or philosophy for my soul's well-being, then I'm trusting in something that's not that doesn't give any real confidence. In Proverbs chapter three, beginning verse five, the, the writer of Proverbs says, "Trust in the Lord with the, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths." Uh, so I can't trust my own feelings and my own uh, um, human wisdom or understanding. Uh, a lot of people are doing that, and sometimes we talk to people, Jacob, in the, in the religious world, and they say, well, I just think or I feel or something of that matter. They can't give you any scripture to justify their their feeling of of soul's safety or soul's salvation but they just i think or i feel and they give those kinds of expression to denote why they think they're going to heaven and the scripture says we can't rely on our own understanding in such matters well there are people who religious groups who tell you you need to rely on your feelings you need you'll know it when you're saved that it's a better felt than told uh feeling and uh, that is dad they wouldn't admit it but that is leaning on their own wisdom and their own uh their own uh understanding of what they think uh, a salvation experience should be like uh that is without without them realizing it them leaning on uh, their own understanding so what we're saying is it's possible that some people could have confidence who don't deserve to have that confidence they could be trusting in things that are not going to get them to heaven another thing we might add to that list is you know someone depending upon their own ability, uh, th- their own, uh, I guess, sort of uh, brute strength or just real grit to get through and to make it, to accomplish their salvation. And the scriptures tell us that we cannot, no matter how good a person we were, no matter how capable, no matter how hardworking we were in spiritual matters, we could never earn our salvation Um Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, without me, ye can do nothing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We're not going to make it just by our own strength or determination, by our own grit. We're not going to be able to merit or earn salvation. That simply is not going to get the job done. And if we're trusting in that sort of thing, then we're in trouble already. So again, I'm just pointing out some people who express a confidence concerning salvation really maybe need to rethink it if you're just basing that way we should also point out that we should not trust what other people are telling us uh if we put our confidence in men you know someone says well my parents always believe so and so and that's what i believe and i think it's good enough it's good enough for them it's good enough for me or, or my preacher told me, and and I just believe what he said is going to be so. Uh, or maybe someone says, all of my friends are of the opinion that, and they go on and talk about what their friends believe and practice. If we're trusting our salvation to, to what others have told us, and we've not sought it out ourselves, and we've not diligently searched to make sure that we're doing uh, all that's 
necessary for salvation, we're making a big mistake. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a bush in the desert, and shall not see the uh, when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited, if you trust in men. Uh, Proverbs twenty-five nineteen: Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And what he's saying there is that if we put our trust in men, it will ultimately fail us. So just to start out, I, I would just emphasize that if we put our confidence in things that that are unreal, we may have confidence, but it's not real. And so we need to make sure that we're basing our confidence of our salvation in something absolute, something concrete and real. And, Bob, that is a problem with people in the religious world today. They're they're looking for that comfort and, uh, and uh, assurance in places that they shouldn't be looking. That's correct. Uh, if we're looking at passages like John 8 and in verse 31, Jesus is talking to individuals who would be disciples. And he says, if you abide in my word, I think that's the key. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And we realize that a disciple is simply one who's learning from the master who indeed in this case is Jesus. And he goes on to say, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And that's where we need to put our confidence in, not in what we feel, but what we know the truth is by understanding what God's will is for us. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Please do join in on the discussion as we talk about our confidence. And uh, you mentioned that it is something that people are grasping with and are looking for answers in. And uh, we believe the Bible gives us answers where we can have confidence. Uh, there are many in the religious world who do not have confidence, but we believe the Bible does teach that we can well, have confidence. Well, actually, I think that we should point out that members of the Church of Christ specifically have been criticized on this on this very question. And I've, I've been many times heard people who say, well, you members of the Church of Christ, you can't speak with certainty. You can't say for sure, I know that I'm saved. I know that if I die, I'd go to heaven. And so sometimes, for instance, our Baptist friends might take us to task for that. Because our Baptist friends believe that once they're saved, they're always saved, and there's no doubt about it, that they could never do anything to lose their salvation. Now, in times past on this program, we have discussed what we believe is the erroneous doctrine, the erroneous Calvinistic doctrine of once saved, always saved, or the impossibility of apostasy, or you might call it the security of the believer. We believe the Calvinists are wrong on that subject. We've just, we've studied it before. We'd be glad to study it again. In fact, if there's anybody uh, listening tonight who who seriously believes that that idea of once saved, always saved, and would like to discuss it with us on the virtual Bible study, uh, we'll give you a uh, open access to the airways even tonight. We'll be glad to study that with you. But we we believe that's an error. And the Calvinist who says, I know I'm going to heaven because I believe that once I've been saved, I'll always be saved. Uh, we think that's an error. But on the other hand, I think members of the Church of Christ have taken criticism because they can't speak with certainty. They won't confidently say, I believe that I'm saved. I believe that if I were to die right now, I would go to heaven. And so there, there, it's, it's sort of a uh, a, a fine edge there that we want to try to explore in our study tonight. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We got a couple of, of answers that are real brief, Jacob, and we could go to those real quickly. Gail in Columbia, Tennessee, has written 
and answer that question, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And she says simply, yes, by God's grace. I think that's the right answer. If any of us are saved, it's going to be by the grace of God. None of us are, as we were saying earlier, none of us are going to merit salvation. Bob, I don't care how hard you worked or what you did. You couldn't do enough to save your soul from that's hell. Right. Without God's grace, no man can be saved. So I think Gail's answer is the right answer. We want to talk more about that. And, and another answer from But G- Gail's answer doesn't answer the question completely because we know God's grace is not universal. That's right. It's not an unconditional grace, and it's not a universal grace, so we've got to talk about that a little bit. But I think that, that answer is right. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, expounds a little bit more on that. He answers, a Christian should have confidence in God's word that in obeying his will, they will receive eternal life. Yes, they should feel not arrogant, but a calm trust that what God will do, that, that God will do what he says he will do. So I think uh, Jim's answer is right on as well. I remember one time a, a fellow challenged me with that question, with this question. He said, in the judgment day, assume this scene, you come before the judgment bar, and God asks you one question. He says, why should I let you come into heaven? Well, probably our our first reaction would be to try to think about how we might justify ourselves by the things we've done. You know, well, I went to church every Sunday and I I gave, you know, such and such percentage of my income when the collection plate came around. And I was baptized and I tried to do good and I I helped my neighbors and I tried to treat my family right. And, you know, what, what your tendency or your temptation might be to try to enumerate what really amounts to things you did. And that would argue that you're trying to say, well, I merited it. None of us are going to merit it. And the fellow said, and I think he gave a good answer. What you do is you, uh, in that scenario, you point to Jesus on God's right hand and you say, if I come to heaven, I should come because of him, not because of anything I've done. And that's really it. The, the atoning work of Jesus, the salvation that has been extended to mankind through him, is the only basis upon which any of us are going to be able to go to heaven. Now, how do we access that? How do we How do we receive salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? We'll talk more about that. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll hope to hear from you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We are having some technical difficulties tonight, and you didn't hear any commercials there, so we apologize for that. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com are the ways to join in on the discussion tonight. I guess uh, we're going to have to work for a whole hour without any breaks tonight, guys. So we have to, we may have to go on strike after tonight, uh, but uh, we'll continue and hopefully get our problems debugged here tonight. Yeah, it looks like it looks like we're getting out live, but we can't play anything that's recorded, so we'll, we'll, we'll work around that. That. Um, we might pick up some more of these questions, these answers that people are sending in. Uh, uh, let's see. Let me get another one here. Here's one from Steve in Pennsylvania who writes, if you died tonight, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? He says, I think you'll hear. Paul spoke with real confidence concerning his salvation. And I believe that we can imitate him as Christians and ought to do so. We ought to speak with that kind of confidence that we feel certain that if we were to die, we would go to heaven. Now, here's the thing, Bob, I think this is something that I've told people this. If you can't speak with that certainty, then you need to investigate why not. What's going on in your life that makes you feel uncertain? Is there something that you know you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, and therefore you can't speak confidently like Paul did? If that's the case, then that needs we need to get rid of that right now. You know, and And so, you know, 
if there is some doubt or uncertainty in ourselves, if we don't feel like at this moment, based on what I know, what I understand the scriptures teach, we can't speak with confidence because we've got some nagging guilt maybe, then we need to correct that. That's correct. Uh, we know what separates us from God and that sin, and we need to understand from the Word of God how we deal with our sin and how it's removed. And once we understand that, we can have that full assurance on a daily basis. Exactly right. And Paul, again, Paul spoke with confidence in there, and that confidence was based on the same things that we have access to, the knowledge of what's been taught in the Word of God. And if we believe what it says and we've obeyed what it instructs us to do, in other words, we've met the conditions of salvation. Jacob, you said earlier concerning the grace of God that it is a conditional grace. It's not an unconditional grace. Not everyone will be saved. Uh, in fact, we might pick up that verse that was mentioned in our very first email. Let's go in Matthew chapter 7. And I think we see clearly from Matthew chapter 7 that God's grace is not unconditional. In fact, in Matthew 7, these are statements that Jesus made in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 13, he said, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be which find it. So Jesus said the majority of people are going to be lost. That's pretty plain from what he said. Then going on in, in verse 21 of Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus said, not everybody who calls him Lord will go to heaven, but those who do the will of the Father, those who comply with his law. And when he said to some, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. The word iniquity there means lawlessness. They were, they were not following God's law. And so, again, God's grace will save any who are saved. But the grace is not unconditional. It doesn't go out to everyone. It goes out to those who are obedient to the commands of God, who have obeyed his will. In Hebrews chapter 5, at verse 8, Jesus is said to be the, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, he is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so our confidence has to be upon the fact that we have complied with what the Bible says. And I think that's what uh, Stephen was saying in his email. Uh, you know, if, if we don't have a, a degree of confidence, we need to ask why. Uh, and and uh, if there's something remiss in our life, we need to correct it. All right. I think I've got the sound a little bit better on this end. Uh, we hope to hear from you, though, on the phone or over the email tonight as we talk about our confidence, Dad. Um, we talk about the fact that God's grace is conditional. Does that then put the burden on us then to save ourselves? No. As we said earlier, it's not a matter of saving ourselves. We can't save ourselves. There's no work of merit that would accomplish our own salvation. Maybe a parallel uh, that might help to explain this is if um, if I if I offered uh, to you a gift, if I said uh, I'll give you a uh, hundred dollars if you come to my house tomorrow, well, if you come to my house and I give you a hundred dollars, did you earn it by virtue of coming to my house, Bob? Would you have earned it? No. 
was not earning it, but there was con- you had to meet the condition. You had to come to my house to get it. And so simply meeting conditions does not mean that we are earning anything or that we're saving ourselves. And in, in, in regards to the salvation that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ, if we meet conditions, it doesn't mean we're earning it. We're not saving... We're not saving ourselves in the sense that we're earning our salvation, but we are meeting the conditions of the promise that God held. Now, there is a sense, I guess, and Paul used this terminology in Philippians chapter 2. He said in Philippians 2 verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's no, there's a sense in which we work out our own salvation. We work at our own salvation. But it's in regards to obeying the will of God and complying with the conditions that he stated. It's not merit. We don't earn it. And so we need to understand that. All right. Um, let's go on and continue to take emails. Uh, we have some people who are saying they can't hear us. You should be able to hear us now, hopefully. Um, we've got, boy, it's been a, it's been a nasty night for uh, technology, but hopefully we're sounding all right on the other end. Uh, but we would like to hear from you. Uh, that is, uh, we look at uh, other emails. We have one from Stephen. Um, I already covered that one. Yeah. Stephen, uh, we have one from Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Uh, to your first question, can we have confidence? He says, if one has obeyed the gospel and has truly repented, I believe that one is going to heaven. God's grace will cover our sins through the blood of his son, Christ Jesus. Well, I would actually want to correct, and I think Keith, I think I understand Keith's email, but I would actually want to, to maybe expand on that. Listen to this, Bobby said, if one has obeyed the gospel and is truly repented, I believe that one is going to heaven. Well, there's the condition of continued faithfulness, wouldn't you agree? That's exactly right. In other words, if I initially obeyed the gospel and I'm, and I'm living as a Christian, that's great. But I, and I think Keith would agree with that. I think I know where Keith's coming from on this answer, but we just need to sort of qualify what he said. If we've obeyed the gospel, we're going to heaven. If we, if we continue to faithfully serve him. It's not, it's not once saved, always saved. As we said earlier, there's unfortunately a lot of people who believe that. But for instance, in Second Peter chapter 2, in Second Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning verse 20, Peter describes some, he says, If after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Here's some people who were saved... Notice, they, they had, through the knowledge of the Lord, they had uh, escaped the pollutions of the world. But then they become entangled in it again. So here's somebody who was once saved, but they get all tangled up in sin again. And Peter said, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So it's not that we're once saved, always saved. I don't believe Keith believes that. And I don't think he's saying that. But I would uh, just the way he worded his answer, I'd want to qualify that, make sure we get that point uh, uh, added in. Johnny in Leoma has similar comments. And um, may we may disagree with these a little bit. I'm not sure exactly where Johnny's coming. Johnny says, obviously, all Christians will go to heaven. If he didn't make it to heaven, then the person was not a Christian. A Christian defined 
A Christian is defined as one that obeys the commandments of God, not only would go to heaven, but has a right to go through the gates of the city. He references Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. He says, I am wondering if the more proper question would be, how would a person know that he is a Christian? Well, that's an important question. How do we know we're a Christian? There's only one way I know, Bob, and that's to look to the Word, right? That's right. Uh, I think it was King Griffin told Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And uh, Paul realized he had faith. He says, I know you had faith. Well, does faith only save? That's right. Agrippa believed what he heard and was persuaded, almost persuaded, Mm -hmm. to obey what he'd been told, but not completely persuaded. And so there was something he had to do. Uh, from, From what Johnny says there, I get the impression that he might think that all when he says, all Christians will go to heaven. I, I don't believe that. I believe that there are Christians who obeyed the gospel. They became a, a child of God through obedience to what is instructed in the, in the gospel. But later, they've departed from that. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul spoke of the possibility of falling from grace. He was writing to Christians, and he said, Whosoever you are justified by the law, that is, they were trying to go back and incorporate the law of Moses. And so he says, Whosoever you are justified by law, you're fallen from grace. Well, if you fall from grace, you're not going to be saved. Here were some people who were in grace. You've got to be in grace if you're going to fall from it. But he said it was possible to fall from grace. I think that passage very clearly, I think the other one we read a minute ago, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, clearly teaches that a child of God can so sin as to be lost. You could be a Christian, but because you didn't strive to maintain a faithful life of service to God, you could fall away. I think we have a, a good example of that uh, in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, I think we all know and would agree that Ananias and Sapphira were in God's favor, that they did have God's grace, but when they lied to the Holy Spirit, God had punished them. And it was severe, that is, they both lost their life. So what was it, what is their condition now? Well, we could say the same a little bit later there in Acts, in the case of uh, Simon the sorcerer. He obeyed the gospel. He was baptized into Christ. But because he sinned, Peter said to him, uh, Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy weakness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That's Acts 8, verses 21 through 23. He was a Christian. We know he was. He'd been baptized. It says earlier in the chapter, the Holy Spirit acknowledges his obedience to the gospel. So he was a Christian, but he was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity because he had sin, and he had to repent of that sin. Or Matt, but I appreciate Johnny sending us that email. Um, got an email from Jason up in Pennsylvania who says... I've heard too many Christians answer this question, quote, well, I sure hope so. In fact, I agree with Jason, by the way. I've heard a lot of Christians who said that. He says, unfortunately, it does not show the confidence that we should have as Christians. The First John 5.13 says that we can know that we have eternal life. Sometimes I ask myself, what kind of hope do some Christians have? Hope is defined as a confident expectation in the promises of God. I believe the best response to the question of whether or not I would go to heaven if I were to die right now is, by the grace of God, yes. We need to show our dependence on the grace of God, but still not minimize the importance of obedience. Obedience is the natural outgrowth of someone who has been given such a great hope by a merciful God. 
In First Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then Jason continues, If we are being diligent in studying the scriptures and applying them to our lives, we have no reason to doubt the hope of heaven that we have unless we are neglecting sin in our lives. So when someone answers with doubt whether or not they are saved, I think our response should be, Is there something in your life that you believe might keep you out of heaven? If so, what are you doing about it? Verse 6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. So I, I agree with Jason down the line there. We're to have confidence. Our confidence comes upon and upon our obedience to the conditions that he spelled out in the scriptures. It's not on our own merit, but if we can't speak confidently, we need to find out why, and we need to get to the bottom of that. What is it that's keeping us from being able to say with confidence that I believe that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven? Yeah, true hope, true hope would will save us, and it's described for us in Hebrews. Chapter 6, I believe that it's an anchor of the soul. Exactly right. Hebrews calls hope an anchor of the soul. We need that confidence. We, we need to have that kind of confidence. And uh, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, Paul says, We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? We're hoping. We, we, we're, we're confidently hoping in salvation. Obviously, we don't have it as, a, as a, in our hand at this moment. It's still in the future. But we have great reason to have confident hope in the promises of God. Well, I like that passage that Jason brings up in First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. It puts the two together, doesn't it? It puts God's grace in there, but it also says our requirement to be obedient. And that's uh, those two things are wrapped up in our hope there, Dad. If, if we, we are hoping because of God's grace... And we're also uh, understanding of our requirement to be obedient. And by being obedient, we have then the confidence that uh, we have uh, God's grace because of His, because of our obedience to his instructions. Um, we're going to get to that question. That, the second part of that question. I tell you what, let's try Let me just try and take a break. If we uh, can, we will. And we can't. Not working? Nope, not working. So right, we're so going to miss your bullet point this week, I think. All right, we'll use that bullet point next week. <laughs> all right. Oh, recycling. Okay, go ahead. Are we doing all right? We're, we're fine. I think I think we can be heard uh, when we're talking, but there's no audio that's uh, going out uh, that's pre-recorded. Okay. Uh, if you if if you are hearing us, you might send us a quick note to questions at collegeview.com and tell us we're getting out to you. We have heard from one listener that you're too loud. One listener says too loud. <laughs> that was your wife that called in. No, I'm just, <laughs> just teasing. No, um, well, I think uh, we've got that corrected. So, all right, um, we got one more. We, we got one more email here to go to on this first question. If you died right now, would you go to heaven? This comes from Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee. And Jack says, "God's words reveal that we should be God's word reveals that we should be confident in our salvation. Otherwise, why did John write in First John five verse thirteen? By the way, this is the same verse that Jason referenced." These things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, even unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Similarly, he begins the epistle by saying, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you also, that ye also may have fellowship with us, yea, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write, that our joy may be made full. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God, and Jack goes on, God has done his part. The responsibility now lies with us. 
we must examine very carefully how we are conducting our lives and that we properly view ourselves with respect to sin. Paul tells us this in the letter to Romans. Romans 3, verse 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we realize sin can separate us from God, we must do all we can to rid sin from our lives. We can be cleansed of sin by the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1, 7, and God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, verse 9. These are wonderful promises, but these are conditional promises. Note the word if in these verses. We must walk in the light and we must confess our sins, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. So long as we meet the conditions and maintain our relationship with God, we can safely say, I am going to heaven. So those are Jack's thoughts from Hampshire, and we appreciate him for sending those in. Thank you, Jack, for listening tonight. Again, we'll take your call at 877-381-4567 or email us questions at collegeview.com. We can be heard now, thanks to a listener there who has responded. Uh, so we're glad that uh, you're listening to us on the other end of the line tonight. All right. You want to get to the second part of your question? Yeah, let's talk about what would be the basis of confidence. The the other part of our question that we sent out earlier today. By the way, we didn't mention, Jacob, the, uh, we, we have this regular update list, and every week we send out uh, these advanced notices as to our topic and some questions that, that we seek input uh, for the program. And uh, if you'd like to be on that update list, just send us a message to questions at collegeview.com and just in the subject line put add me to your list and we'll get that done. Very simple and you'll be uh, regularly advised of our topics for discussion on the virtual Bible study. The second question that we sent out today was this one. What are the means through which a Christian can develop proper confidence? Now, I think this really follows from what we've been discussing. We've been discussing the fact that a Christian should have confidence, and if he doesn't, there's something wrong. Uh, and so if that's the case, and, and you don't feel confident, let's say that you're such a person that you're a Christian, but you just can't answer positively. If I were to die right now, I, I don't know. I hope I would go to heaven, but I'm not sure. If you're such a person that would answer the question that way, then what are some of the things that could be done to strengthen you and help you feel more confident. Um, I had Jack's email right there. Jacob, let me let me mention his answer to this second question. He says, We can and will increase our confidence in God's ability to save us for all eternity if each day we read and study His Word. Taking in His Word, our spiritual food, is by far the single most important thing we can do to develop our confidence. The more you read and study His Word, the more you see His power, wonder, and majesty. Having brought together some 40 authors from various backgrounds over a period of 1,500 years to create the Bible is amazing in itself. But within the pages of his word, we see, among other things, his scheme of redemption, whereby man can come back again into a proper relationship with God. We see his ability to use nations, kings, men, and women to carry out his purpose, to create planets, seasons, man, and animals, and all the mountains and seas. Since he has done all of this and so much more, we should have complete confidence he can surely save us from our sins and allow us to live with him forever. So Jack's principal answer there, and I'd have to agree with him, if, if you don't feel confident, then get back in the Bible and read all the many passages that talk about his promises and so forth. Bob? Mm-hmm. Well, every time we fail to study the Word of God, we're starving ourselves. And you can't have confidence in something you're not diving into. Not feeding them. Uh, we don't have problems feeding our physical bodies, but uh, I'm afraid even Christians are not, they're starving their soul. 
Exactly right. Too many Christians are not spending time in diligent Bible study. They don't know their Bibles well, and therefore that would certainly be a reason why they couldn't speak confidently about their condition. Our, yeah, our confidence lies within the Word. And when we know God more, more our confidence in Him will increase. And you can only do that through the Word. And as Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. All right. We have a listener in Florida who can hear us tonight, so we are getting out. Thank you for listening down in Florida tonight, and uh, they can hear us because you're so loud tonight, Dad. It's yeah. making it all, all the way down to Florida. That's all, right. all right, Gail. That's pretty loud. Yes, right. That is loud. Gail has uh, sent in her comments on how we can uh, develop a proper confidence and echoes what Jack said. Through studying the scriptures, we gain confidence and assurance that God always takes care of his people who are trying to follow him, even though at times they sin. She references Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and through comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so that's a good passage, Dad, who does, that does bring out that uh, confidence that you're talking about there, the comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Yeah, and uh, let me add a Scripture here in First John chapter 2. And by the way, uh, you might notice that uh, several of these verses that we're referencing are in First John. First John deals with this question and speaks about our confidence as Christians. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him." And so there's there's a lot of emphasis made upon the fact that we can know these things, but it goes back to the Word. I can't know if I haven't studied the Word, and I can't know if I haven't complied with the Word. i got to know the Word first, and then i got to comply with it. So uh, that's that's a strong basis for the confidence that we need. All right, Neil goes on and says, Get, quote, experience of the Word of righteousness by practicing it, not just giving mental assent to that we know what to do and we'll do it next time. Sometimes we don't have the confidence because we are unsure what all of God's will is. As we do the word and exercise our senses, we gain discernment of good and evil. The more we do, the more we will grow and be able to discern. She references Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone that partaketh of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. She references verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 5 as well. But solid food is for full-grown men even those by who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Another valid point. Uh, not just do we need to study, we need to practice and put these things into pr- practice in our life. You know, uh, what, what, I, what I agree with, Gail, and I think what we find, when we, when we start practicing what we learn in the Word of God, we begin to realize more and more that, that this works. God's wisdom is seen in the, in, in, by our own experience of it. In other words, we, we read it, we learned it, then we put it into practice, and it came to us by virtue of our experience that these things are true and they work. And, and our lives are enriched and things are made better and everything works properly when we follow the will of God in our life. And so by experience of doing his will, we gain additional confidence that these things are right and true. And then finally, the last point in Gail's email was to pray. Pray for wisdom. First John 5, verse 14 this is the boldness which we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So as we continue to strive to be a faithful Christian, uh, then we have this 
boldness that is described here. And uh, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5 tells us to pray for wisdom. If we lack wisdom, we should pray for it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I agree with Gail on that point as well. Thanks, Gail, for your email. All right, we have time for your phone call, 877-381-4567. You see, we were going to take a break right now, but technical difficulties have precluded us from doing that. And so we'll give you the time that we were going to spend uh, listening to a pre-recorded message to listen to you. The only thing you need to do is dial 877-381-4567 or send your comments to questions at collegeview.com. Jim in Mount Pleasant, uh, to the question, what are means through which a Christian can develop proper confidence? His answer is trusting God's will to always turn out as he determines. We cannot know what the future holds, but we can be assured that God has confidence in his children if we will hold fast to his word and hope as an anchor of the soul. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. Then we can have confidence that it, that it will all turn out as he promises. He never lies, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. All right, so he says, uh, trust God's will to turn out as he said. Uh, uh, he, uh, he, he didn't say what I thought he was going to say. He, he says, we cannot know what the future holds. I've heard, I've heard, can't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. You've heard that expression. It's true. God is in control, and he, he will fulfill his promises to those who serve him. And we need to have that hope, as Jim mentioned. We don't know what the future holds in specifics. We do know what the future holds in generalities. We know yeah. that God will provide. And that we know that Hebrews 9.27 says, Appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is coming again. Second we Peter don't know when. Coming as a thief in the night, but he is coming. We, we don't, don't know when we're going to die, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we, and we have confidence. And another promise, uh, Bob, and that is that we can be faithful. There's a lot. That's something we don't have confidence in too many times, and people uh, are allowed to. They allow themselves to live in ways that they know are not pleasing to God because they think it's impossible for them to be pleasing to God. But we know confidently that it is possible for us to live faithfully. That's correct. It's uh, all a matter of the will of man to do the will of God, and we have that mind set when uh, we have that drive, that desire to see God. And we can rely upon the the promise of God that those who seek will find. They'll find the correct answer to any questions that they would have in regards to their spiritual welfare. And, and they can find it within the will of God if they will seek it that way. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God will, is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's not anything you're going to deal with, Bob, that is too strong. You, in other words, you're never going to be able to say, I couldn't help it, I couldn't do anything else, I had to sin. Uh, there's a way of escape, and God promised that, and we can deal with whatever comes our way. And those who make the argument that we ha- that we have to believe in once saved, always saved, because without it we can't have any confidence, they are treading on that uh, scripture that says that we can withstand and we can avoid temptation. They bet, their argument, Dad, is well, you're going to sin all the time. There's nothing you can do about it, and therefore, if you don't, if you're not going to sin all the time. Or if you are going to sin all the time, then you can't have any confidence. That's different from what the Bible teaches. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Go ahead. They're they're, they're putting the two, uh, you know, at odds with each other. 
and uh, they are really treading on that passage that tells us we can live a faithful life. If he, if he made the promise, then it must be true, and we can do it. We can have confidence in his promise, and therefore have confidence in our salvation. Let me get to a couple more of these emails. There's a couple of lingering questions I want to deal with before we're done tonight, Jacob. Stephen uh, in Pennsylvania answers this second question. What are the means through which a Christian can develop proper confidence? First, we must have faith in the Lord by believing he will reward us in the end, Hebrews 11.6. We must have hope, not a condition where we do not know the outcome, but rather an expectation such as Paul had when he was near departure, 2 Timothy 3, verses 4, verse 4, Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, but rather an expectation, see, uh, go on, no, excuse me, he says, hope in the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, verse 1, we cannot see heaven, but we believe it's there. Prayer, following the commandments of the Lord, and just basically living our life the way God wants us to live. That's Stephen's answer. Thank you, Stephen, for answering that. Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee says, we can develop confidence through studying God's word and doing what is commanded, keeping our focus on God through his son, Doing his will should give us the confidence that we need. Okay. Now, I agree. I agree with that, with what our respondents are saying here. But here's oh, oh, one more, Jacob. Take take the Johnny's got one more thought here along that line. All right. Johnny says there's several ways for us to have confidence. He says we have confidence by keeping his commandments, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. First John chapter 2, verse 5, But whoso keepeth his, his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And so we have confidence by keeping his commandments. We would agree with that. And he says we have confidence by abiding in Christ. First John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so we can have confidence, as uh, Johnny notes there from First John chapter 2, verse 8, By abiding in Christ... He says the whole book of John gives too many verses to list of how we may have confidence. Yeah, I think he, I, I think he may mean especially First John, the book okay. of First John, because that's the ones he's quoting there, and I agree with him. It's just the book is literally full of references of that sort. All right. He says living in fear is the opposite of having confidence. We should not have fear. Second Timothy chapter one verse seven: For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All right, I think Johnny's on the mark there with those answers, and we appreciate him for participating this evening. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways to join in on the discussion tonight, and we have plenty of time for your comments. Um, and then we've got uh, one more email. This one comes from Indiana. It says, we make mistakes all the time. Can we die immediately after a mistake, whether it is committed at will or unconsciously, and still go to heaven? Hang on to that question a minute, because Keith had this follow-up question in his email as well. Question for thought. He said, what if a Christian were about to be involved in a serious car accident, and that person saw what was about to happen, and he uttered an ugly four-letter word just before impact and died? Will God's grace cover them into eternity? <laughs> what about that one? Well, Bob? leave that in the Lord's hand because he's our judge. Well, I think that's the answer we have to do. I remember years ago a preacher named Robert Turner uh, warned about whittling on God's end of the stick. In other words, God's the eternal judge, and he's going to make decisions. He's a just and righteous God. He's, he's a fair and merciful God, and he will be the judge. I'm glad that he is the judge, and I don't have to be the judge. Uh, so, you know, we want to be careful about ever putting ourselves in the position of, uh, that, that rightfully belongs to God. 
there's a couple of things that I would comment, though, in relationship to both of these questions. In in relationship to the scenario that Keith suggested, here's a Christian, but he's facing a crisis moment, and his reaction is to utter a four-letter word. That may reflect the fact that fellow didn't have a good heart to start with. So that may be a problem. That that may, in fact, be a problem. But, again, gratefully, God knows hearts, and he'll be able to judge that uh, accurately. The other thing is that if that scenario played out, or any scenario, as the as the uh, the uh, uh, emailer from Indiana mentions, you know, if I were to die immediately after having made a mistake, let's say I, I told a lie, I had an evil thought, um, you know, whatever, and I died immediately upon having committed sin, could I know that? Well, w- the the scripture offers no means of of what we might refer to as continuous cleansing. The Bible doesn't describe that. If, there, if God has some mechanism in mind whereby I could tell a lie, immediately die, and still go to heaven, having, having never repented of that sin, having never prayed for that sin, I don't, know, I don't know where I'd find that statement in the Scripture. I don't know where I'd find that being explained in the Scripture. only thing I know to do, now you, you name the sin, and I'll tell you what to do. You name a fellow comes to me and says, I've told a lie. What should I do? I'll tell him, repent of that. Repent of that sin of lying and correct that sin. But I, in other words, we can't teach what the Bible doesn't reveal. And the Bible doesn't reveal a means whereby a person could sin and die without having repented of the sin and, and go to heaven. The Bible doesn't reveal that. If God's got some such mechanism that he's going to employ to make it so that a person could go to heaven in that condition, he hasn't revealed it to us. Therefore, we can't preach what we don't know. What It would be wrong for us to add to the scriptures and teach some means of continuous cleansing or automatic cleansing that the Bible doesn't expose. We can only teach what the Bible says. And the Bible says that when we sin, we must repent of our sins, confess our faults, Pray for forgiveness as Christians. That's what a Christian does. When a Christian sins, he must repent, confess his sin, pray for forgiveness. We would reference, as we did earlier, Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 21 and following in the case of Simon the Sorcerer for proof of that. But in answer to Keith's question and this question from Indiana, I would say that's why we need to be always diligent uh, and, and always watchful spiritually. Never let down our guard that some sin might overtake us uh, and we die in that sin. Because if we die in sin, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us we can have a confidence if we die with unforgiven sin on our record. These scenarios uh, typically are the man about to be run over by a car and he, he thinks some impure thought or says uh, some uh, words that he shouldn't say. Those are somewhat, in the minds of, in the human mind, are somewhat more ambiguous than what if the person right before he's about to get run over by the truck, fornicates, or worships, worships an idol, yeah. or murders. Yeah, what, what if I, what if I uh, in a fit of rage, drew a gun, and, uh, I'm, I'm, and I shot somebody, and before I could turn around, a car comes down the street and runs over me and kills me. And I just murdered a man, and, and I've run over, immediately after killing a man, I'm run over. See, that's... The, that's why they don't pose the question that way because it's an emotional argument. Yeah, I mean, no, no, nobody wants to justify the fornicator or the murderer, but they do want to justify the fellow who says a bad word uh, in a moment of weakness or tells a you know uh, tells a, a, a little white lie or a fib, 
They, in other words, it's an emotional argument at its core, and that's why they choose those kinds of sins versus fornication or murder. Right, because in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, nor fornicators, or so. And the list goes on: murderers, thieves, drunkards. Revelation twenty-one verse eight says, "The fearful and all unbelieving, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death." So you know you don't you don't choose those kinds of sins because the Bible is very clear what happens to those who commit those sins. Well, when we look at uh, Simon, and just look at the words that Peter uses after the thought that he had. He says, "Your heart is not right." He says, you are in the gall of bitterness. What did he do? Bond of iniquity. Yeah, you're in the gall of bitterness, the bond of iniquity. But what did he do? He thought something evil. It just shows, goes to show how serious sin is in the eyes of God and how we need to correct it. Exactly right. L- let me get to this other question. Uh, it references Matthew 7, 21 through 23, which we, which we read earlier. Let me read it again. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And, and it says, If you could, I ask that you take a minute and explain why Matthew 7, 21 through 23, what we just read, either should or should not shake our confidence in our salvation. What do you think about that? It's describing someone who is a a religious individual. They call Jesus Lord, and they even want to tell about the good things that they had done in the name of the Lord. Uh, You know, we we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did many wonderful works in your name. But Jesus said they're going to be lost. I think the key to that is that he says they're going to be lost because they had been practicing lawlessness. All that they'd been doing, all that their religious deeds were not in harmony with the law of God. And that's what we've been saying all along. Our confidence has to be in the fact that we have studied the word, learned what it says, and made our effort to comply with the conditions that it states. We can't just be out here doing our own thing, even even if it's in the name of religion. If we're out here just doing our own thing and not doing the will of God, then there's no confidence for us. This passage will cause you to not have confidence under two scenarios. Number one, you don't know what the will of God is. Number two, you do know what it is and you're willfully not doing it. Under those circumstances, you can have no confidence. But just the opposite of what some people might say about this passage, this passage will give you confidence if you are calling Jesus Lord and you are doing what he has commanded, then you can have confidence that you are in a saved position with him. Yeah, I think Jesus tells us just because we're religious, that religion doesn't make us right in our relationship to God. And you can take, for instance, Cornelius. Here's a good moral man in Acts chapter 10. He's described as being a devout man. When you look at that word devout, it simply means he's religious. And you can see some of the good deeds that he done, but he had to hear some words from the apostle Peter where him and his household might be saved. He had to obey the gospel. His good deeds wouldn't save him. All right, we've got one more email coming in. Uh, Jack uh, has sent in a list of several scriptures, and we don't have time to read them all. We're just about out of time, Jacob. But you can give a rundown of he, them. He more. lists the verses that show we can fall away. Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. Hebrews 4, verse 11. 
which says simply, let us therefore give diligence to enter into that rest, lest that no man fall after the same example of disobedience. Hebrews 4.11, Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, and James 5, verses 19 through 20. And again, I wish we had time to read and comment on all those, but uh, thank you, Jack, for sending those in. There's, those are a number of verses, and there are plenty more that teach that a Christian can so sin as to be lost. Now, that's why this subject, I think, is important, because there's a line here. It's a pretty fine line. We've got to walk carefully on it. We, we can have confidence as Christians. Clearly, God wants us to have confidence, but we also have to be aware of the fact that we could fail and fall away and lose our salvation. Therefore, we've got to give constant diligence. But as we study and learn and practice the will of God and pray to him, remembering his promises, there's great reason for us to have confidence in our salvation. All right. Well, let's call it a wrap, guys. Appreciate the discussion tonight. Bob, thank you for for being here tonight to help out uh, in a wild and crazy program. <laughs> yeah, we've had technical troubles all night long. I don't think we've got them solved yet. In fact, we probably won't be able to go to our regular closing. Do you have it memorized? Or you, I don't have it memorized, uh-huh. but let's just say this. Lord willing, next Thursday night at the same time, we'll be here with another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We'd love for you to come and participate via the Internet as well. Uh, make it a note. Uh, write it on your calendar. Set the alarm. You know, you can, We've mentioned this in times past. You can set a weekly alarm on your cell phone and have it ring you just a couple of minutes before 8 o'clock on Thursday night so you remember to turn on your computer and get logged into the Virtual Bible Study. But we'll certainly look forward to having you as a participant next week on the Virtual Bible Study. And we'll look forward to a technical glitch-free program next week, so we hope you will tune in. And in the meantime, we do encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, live by it every day, You'll never regret it. What a program.